I'm Abigail Lund, and this is my Moving Writers February piece. Two powerful words, I think. The process. Some days in the second semester, I do whatever I can to get my students to write. Teaching in a math and science classroom with a scripted program sometimes can be tough, and I'm constantly having to think outside the box. This week, we started a new unit in science, Force in Motion. I dread this unit because most of my activities are simulations and less time to write. My previous ecosystem unit allowed for writing every class period. In the past, any attempts to get my kids to have words on paper in this unit and in the one following is a win. I will be the first to admit that scientific writing for me is not my favorite genre to write or teach, but with a little creativity, a lesson like this invigorates me. This whole week, we had many simulations involving different types of motion. I spent my whole Monday plan pumping myself up to do some sort of type of writing. Of course, I can always go with my go-to writing warm-ups, but sometimes I crave new ideas. I want to keep things fresh. So I looked up from my desk and saw my scientific method poster, which adorns my wall. It's self-illustrated, and if you didn't know, I am an amazing illustrator. Just kidding. It walks through the simplified fifth grade version of the method. Number one, ask questions. Two, make predictions. Three, do the experiment. Four, collect data. And five, draw conclusions. When I read through these five steps, I find that only one of these steps isn't explicitly writing, which is number three, doing the part of the scientific method. Wow, we're pretty much writing, or should be writing, all the time in science. I guess I'm re-energized again by this Pandora's box of writing. Using the senses. The words I think, which starts hypotheses, can be a catalyst for deep intellectual thinking, as long as it's followed by measurable, detailed, and crafty statements. Most students don't know how to do this on their own. So in order to help deepen their hypothesis, we go through a series of mini lessons. When we work through our motion simulation later that day, I start with the class with asking questions. I present the information of what we're doing today, and I have my students together ask questions they have about the experiment. From there, my students draft a hypothesis. I give them options on how to do this. Either one, sketch what you think will happen. Two, use your senses to describe what you think will happen. Like, see, what will you see? What will you hear? Will, will you touch? Will it smell? And three, use figurative language, like comparison sentences, similes, metaphors. I then model through what this might look like. For example, what would happen if I propelled a marble across a grass floor versus a tile floor? Will there be more or less friction? Possible answer. It might zoom across the tile floor, sliding with ease and not coming to an easy stop. Across the grass, it may bounce and tumble, but it will probably come to a quick halt because it can't get through the blades of grass. See what I did there? I offered my reader a clear perspective of what they might see while doing this experiment hypothetically. Here's another idea. B. The marble on the tile may glide like skater's shoes, barely touching the surface as it whizzes past. The marble in the grass will drop with a thud. Or C. The floor is smooth and will be a perfect backdrop for a smooth marble. When two smooth surfaces come together, it's like a fresh batch of ice and my slick tennis shoes. Go too fast and you will slide faster than you may like. The grass is rough and uneven. The marble cannot pass through something with such a great density of friction. It is like trying to scoot across the carpet. 
From these moves that I show my students, they can then use these to make rough drafts of ideas to compose statements combining the, from their pre-thinking. The powerful words, I think. From these notes, they create their own hypothesis statements about what they think might happen in the experiments. Students work with their lab partners to craft a hypothesis at the beginning of this type of writing. I do this because when my students are left to write hypotheses on their own, I find that they look around and they're afraid they're going to make the wrong move and make the wrong answer. When they have someone trying with them, I see, they seem like they take more risks. I think this is how it is always in writing. In my opinion, working in groups always trumps working alone when learning a new writing strategy. Once they get the rhythm, they will whiz through this all on their own. Here's an example of my students' work before drafting and after adding strong details. One, the penny will fall and the paper will fly off. The same response thinking through our senses and sketching. Number two, I predict that when I flick the paper away from me, that the penny will fly using gravity and fall to the ground. This is because I'm causing force push on the paper and force gravity will pull the penny down. Wow, the rich details added to that second hypothesis gives purpose to writing hypotheses. Admittedly, when I write hypotheses in class, they're almost afterthoughts. And I feel like a superhero when we do them together. They always get thrown to the wayside. But the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced and convicted that hypotheses are thesis statements. They just haven't been proven yet with evidence. I believe that by putting the groundwork for writing meaningful hypothesis, this will help drive richer data and evidence in the next step of our scientific method. Writing to think often gets lost in writing to report at school. And these kind of processes bring authenticity to academic writing. Students are now ready to find data to support their hypothesis. Some students are disappointed that their hypotheses are not accurate after their experimental stage. But I remind them to hold on. It's okay that in our scientific predictions, they aren't accurate. It's the conclusion that wraps up our thinking. A surprising twist on reflective writing. Tim Ferriss says that failure without reflection is useless. So the lingering question is how do we use this writing to help my students reflect on experimental results? Students use their question asking, question asking and hypothesis writing to give themselves adequate background knowledge going into their experiment. It gives them ownership in their investigation when they take the reins of their thinking rather than being given a boring old prompt and force-fed thinking. When students actually have buy-in to their learning, they're more willing to reflect on the results in the end. My initial mistake was that I was constantly skipping the hypothesis stage, not giving my students the tools they need to really reflect on their learning. Students use their hypothesis to create reflective and concluding statements at the end of their data collection and experimental stage. This is an opportunity for students to go back and look at their previous thinking and either affirm their thinking with the data they collected or reflect on how their thinking changed. It gives them a chance to write a conclusion in a place where they can really show what they've learned. Hypothesis writing and thesis writing for that matter empower students to take a risk and write the words, I think. These two powerful words open students to a world of possibilities. How do you think you could add detail and description into thesis writing or hypothesis writing? Do you think breaking down for your students would help them or add more depth to their thinking? If you do, reach out with questions or reflections or connections at my Twitter at Miss Ab Lund. This is a moving writer's post. We work hard to ensure we are posting high quality work that is innovative and practical.
please help to keep this possible by refraining from selling our intellectual property or presenting it as your own. Thanks for joining us.